Welcome back. Uh, Dr. Lehman is going to kick off our next session with uh, when and how to switch. Okay, so do you see my slides? Everything okay? Yep, everything looks great. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So um, I'm very happy to be here. Here, so I'm, I'm here in Germany, it's already night, and that's like here for you, middle in the afternoon. So a little tired, um, and so the topic will be when and how to switch. Um, <clears throat> these are my. Um, Oh, it doesn't work. Sorry. Okay. So, um, the learning objective today um, will be um, how to switch in the setting of viral suppression, um, and also discuss uh, if it's how it's possible to switch IRT to long-acting carbotigravir and ralpivirir and also what we have to consider and to discuss um, if you observe a virologic failure. And I will start with the first case. Can I switch patients with uh, viral suppression in the setting of uh, some mutation, the characteristic one, eight, um, uh, 184 and K65R? And I will start with a, a case, a woman, uh, 42 years old, and um, she was diagnosed uh, with an HIV infection in the winter 2019, uh, was a late presenter with uh, cerebral toxoplasmosis, very low CD4 T cell counts of uh, 150 <clears throat> and 15% quite high viral load. Uh, and then the treatment uh, was started a few weeks uh, later with based with darunavir. And um, now her um, lab values, the HIV RNA dropped very quickly and now is still below 20 copies and CD4 T cell counts increased up to 400. Uh, the problem is that she has high levels of cholesterol and is also a smoker. And as we just discussed earlier, also we are not only treating our HIV infection, but we have also to take care of uh, other cardiovascular risks. And so the question is now what we, what we could do. Uh, and so um, we we decided to do a proviral resistance testing because the initial resistance testing uh, was not available. So we didn't know what the patient had in winter 2019. And so we decided to do a, a new uh, resistance testing uh, in the idea of changing the ART. And now um, the question would be, what would you propose? Um, and so question A, um, to switch to doravirine, or question B, to switch to a regimen with spectigravir, or um, to keep darunavir, 
or dolutegravir or maybe any other option we could discuss. So the audience is voting now. Give them a, about eight more seconds. Ah, okay, so very nice and very uh, nice responses, I have to say, uh, because I, this is uh, new data we have, and maybe Dr. Sachs. Please, please go ahead. Dr. Sachs could um, discuss on that because it's just his publication, which just uh, came out a few weeks ago, about the uh, use of big Tigravir in this setting. Thank you. Um, and I uh, want to say this was a, a, a paper that we could put together due to the um, diligence of the virologist, virology group at Gilead, because they actually accumulated all of these cases who were in switch studies who had uh, either a historical M184V or had M184V from archived genotypes and found that uh, essentially, everybody who was switched to Pictegravir FTC TAF maintained viral suppression. So, even though the FTC in the regimen is quote resistant, there's still way excess antiviral activity in the Pictegravir and the hyperactive tenofovir that it maintains viral suppression. So, there's no issues with this. Yeah, thank you very much. I think this is really important data uh, for all clinicians uh, because we have a lot of time this situation and we didn't know, we are not really sure what we can do. And here we have a nice and important option, an easy option, I have to say, uh, for this kind of um, patients. Um, I don't know, maybe one of the panelists has also a comment on, on, on the strategy or maybe something to do differently also, a different way? Well, I'll comment and say that I think the one thing that you probably wouldn't do is uh, switch to a dolutegravir 3TC dual therapy because of the m 184 that you're kind of leaving the dolutegravir uh, to do all the lifting by itself. And uh, Dr. Sachs just mentioned the the relative hypersusceptibility to tenofovir when M184V is present. I guess I got a question back. I mean, you're, you're right. These data were generated from Bictegravir. Do you think the same thing would hold true for other regimens with a potent uh, anchor drug like uh, Bictegravir, dolutegravir, et cetera, uh, with uh, FTC and, or let's just call it, uh, or FTC and TX uh, uh, V or TX V. Yeah. I mean, I think that I I strongly suspect they would. The the one in question that comes up is whether an NNRTI would hold it together, and we actually uh, don't have any data on dorafurine. Um, certainly, dolutegravir and bictegravir would be fine. Uh, what I what I wouldn't use in this case is uh, deravirine without further data. And that's based on the fact that etravirine was studied in treatment experience patients who had um, NRTI resistance and it didn't work out so well. And I don't know, uh, Davey, maybe you want to comment further because you certainly are the resistance guru in this group. <laughs> yeah, no, I just think it goes back to what you were talking about with the excess antiviral activity and um, how many drugs that you have there and then what the resistance pattern is. Um, and I completely agree with Mike that if there's a 
in 184B in using a two drug regimen that one drug doesn't work, you just gotta think that not, not gonna work. Additional data that really su supports the fact that you need a high barrier resistance drug. I'm glad you put it that way, Mike, is um, the old switch mark study. If people think back a few years, that was a switch onto raltegravir, another integrase inhibitor, but one that has a, uh, it's easier for the virus to get resistant to it. And in that setting, when there was a lot of nucleoside resistance, it wasn't just M184V though, then raltegravir didn't do as well. So I think we would get exactly the same results with raltegravir, I would predict. And, um, and it's nice to see these data. It's very um, helpful in terms of clinical practice. Sorry, uh, Dr. Quintard, over to you. Yeah, no, it's I, fine. I just wanted to say, you know, we did a study some years ago in this research record study together with a French study looking at the switch of dolotegravir, a bacavir in 184V uh, harboring patients. So it was kind of a court study, but even there, you know, we didn't see a, a, a failure signal. So even there it worked. <clears throat> okay. So uh, thank you very so, much for, or Mike, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, so a couple of questions came in from the audience. One is, uh, would it help uh, for the cardiovascular risk to switch from darunavir to bictegravir? Is that, does the panel have a strong feeling about that uh, overall? I, ha I have a, a feeling that the protease inhibitor class as a whole, minus satazanavir, has been consistently associated with cardi excess cardiovascular risk, whereas this uh, one study that was cited earlier, the RESPOND cohort, um, has a transient effect that cannot be, it can't be excluded that there's uh, channeling bias. So I, I would say that in clinical practice, I've done this numerous times. So darunavir switched to bictegravir or dolotegravir for cardiovascular risk. Yeah. Great. Okay. So maybe we will just continue then with the next case. Thank you very much. Whoops. Um, and the next case would be the question, should I switch to long-acting cabotegravir in rilpirurin? And... Um, this is a second case, <clears throat> a 59-year-old woman from Kenya living for a long time in Germany. And uh, she was diagnosed in May 2002 uh, with an HIV infection. At this time, she already had an hypertension and also high level of cholesterol. And she has a very long ART history. You see it here. We still have some patients, so some interesting uh, combinations, and also and also a, a um, ART break for for five years almost. And uh, since 2016, she uh, is on a treatment with uh, rilpivirine. She has really good tolerability, very good HIV. Um, parameters, so everything is fine. Viral load is below the limit of detection and C4 T cell around 400. Um, because of her cardiovascular risks, she has some concomitant medication. And um, then in spring, she was complaining uh, about stigma and also about all the medications she had to take. 
and always coming every month always discussing and uh, her husband just died also so, so she she wanted a change and now the question would be what what would you do with uh, such a patient what would you consider so question a would be talk to her and keep her on her current treatment um maybe we could um think about also change the treatment and do also private proviral resistance take um, testing uh, switch her to cabotegravir and rilpivirine or to do anything else So we're waiting some seconds. Oh, okay. So um, main of you just choose also um, response C, cabotegravir and rilpivirine, of course, because the question was also if we could switch to this treatment. Um, so I think there's no, of course, there are some different uh, options here we could uh, discuss. Maybe um, we could just also just keep uh, on her on the treatment and talk to her or do anything else. Maybe, I don't know, what do you think also in the, the panelists? What, what would you do? What could we do also? What could we propose her? We, we've just been joined by Dr. Hoy, who it's uh, now tomorrow morning. In Australia, maybe we can uh, her a bit of a wake-up call and let her take first shot at this. Uh, what do, What do you think, Jenny? Um, I think we, I think we do need to talk to her. Um, if one of the incentives for switching to long-acting treatment is the removal of daily therapy, she still needs to take her antihypertensives and her lipid-lowering therapy daily. So, um, but if we do remove one pill um, from her regimen, her daily regimen, I also think we probably do need to understand her resistance um, because she did have that five-year break. We don't have, we only have what her um, viral load is now so we don't know whether she developed any resistance um, when she stopped her treatment or, or had any virological failure which I think is important to know before starting long-acting um, cabotegravir and rilpivirine but if there is no um, history of virological failure or um, resistance then you know cabotegravirul pivarine would be a good option for her to consider mm -hmm. just a you know it's a interesting I, I i think this this if you go back to the treatment history for a moment if you could could uh clara so this uh patient would not qualify for the atlas or flare studies would not qualify and yet i'm going to go out on a limb and say, I'm very comfortable switching a patient like this to cab ropivirine without doing proviral DNA resistance testing. And that's because she's maintained virologic suppression on a ropivirine-based regimen for years. Mm -hmm. And she is in many ways an ideal candidate uh, for response to ropivirine-based regimens since the leading risk factor for 
failure on CAB, ropivirine is ropivirine resistance. And I highly doubt that she has it. So I, I fully get wanting to find out as much as possible in her because it, knowledge is power. But on the other hand, I doubt she has ropivirine resistance based on this history. Any other, thank you very much, Dr. Sachs. Any other opinion on that also? Well, generally the proviral resistance um, panels are okay, but I think they can be misleading because they could determine uh, maybe the presence of a mutation in a, in a defunct virus that isn't replication competent. So I think it's helpful when we've had failure like uh, Dr. Sachs was just saying, and I agree with Dr. Hoy that ideally you'd like to know, but I don't know that we're going to gain a lot of new information. Uh, I too, I think, be comfortable moving with the injectable at this point because she's been on successfully treated regimen, really doesn't have any evidence of failure in her history. So Dr. Sag, do you think her first regimen had some merit? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah, That was the name of the study that Dr. Sag uh, actually led, I think, that ah, she's okay. probably on that well, study, <laughs> the merit okay. study. And all, all the patients hated me because they were on AZT. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, but so what we did, we just switched her without any uh, resistance uh, testing because, um, yeah, because of her history. And we, we could just, as Dr. Sachs just mentioned, we, we said, okay, if she was just controlled with uh, rilpivirine since a long time, for a long time, then I, we, we didn't think she will have any problem. And so this is what we did and everything is fine and she's very happy and uh, yeah, so everything is good. And I just wanted to give some uh, background in, uh, information about the cabotigravir and rilpivirine. So it is um, approved only in combinations in patients <clears throat> with HIV who are uh, currently virologically suppressed on a stable ART. They shouldn't have any current or historically documented resistance. This is also what we just discussed here in this case. And um, we shouldn't have a virological failure on any of these classes. Very important, um, there are some contraindications, especially the HPV infection. So if there is an act active HPV infection, uh, the treatment shouldn't just be cabotegravir and rapivirine, but we should also have an active um, HPV regimen. We discussed also the problem uh, if a person, a woman is pregnant or wants to, be, to become pregnant should also, we don't have data on that, but of course, if a person is already on this treatment, you can decide just to continue and to do a lot of controls. And of course, the contraindications if there are any interactions with cabotegravir or vilpiruvine. I think what's important, and maybe this is also an, an issue, it's it's a dosing, and everybody uh, should know about some issues you could have. So we have, what we do in Germany, we have an oral lead-in for four weeks, where we just see if uh, the patient is tolerating the medication, and if uh, the results are still fine, if we're happy with that, and then we start 
with the intravascular phase for four weeks and we repeat it then after the, this every eight weeks. Um, <clears throat> if there is um, if a person wants to, to stop the treatment or if there's any interruption of the treatment, then um, uh, you should continue as soon as possible, um, but within the four weeks after the uh, last injection with an oral treatment. And here you see the tablets and the, uh, the, the, this, uh, the, the injections. And this was an uh, important uh, study here where uh, patients were switched on carbotegravir and rotavir, or they just continued ART. And you see that most of the patients had virological success. And this was uh, the basis for the approval of the intramuscular and long-acting um, treatment here. And I think it's for the HIV treatment is it's really something very important. Um, and of course, the eight weeks issue is not really that what we wish to have. But I think uh, in the future, we will have more in interesting options also with longer periods of uh, re-injections. Um, now I would like to finish with the last case. So um, how do I manage virological failure? And we have now a man, 46 years old, and he was diagnosed with HIV in 2018. Uh, CD4 T cell counts were around 2050 and uh, 450,000 HIV copies, wild type. And he was started with an uh, efferents-based regimen. And I have to say it wasn't here at our hospital. It, was, it wasn't a, a clinical practice. And this is why maybe why they were choosing this regimen. Uh, but he was tolerating it very well. Uh, the HIV parameters were also fine. And in spring 2019, um, the last uh, viral load was below 40 copies <clears throat> and CD4 450. Uh, because of the corona pandemic, he didn't come uh, to the clinic anymore. And uh, so he stopped the treatment or he interrupted the treatment. And so in fall 2021, he had a viral load of 12,000 and a decrease of the CD4 T cell counts. And of course, in this situation, we uh, decided to do a genotypic resistance testing. And you see here the main uh, mutations we could observe. So the M184V and the K100N mutations. And now the question would be what you could do and what would be ideal for this patient. And we have different um, questions and different answers. So uh, dolotegravir-based uh, treatment was the answer A and B, or darunavir, or bigtavir, or any other, any, any other option. So just give us your answer.
Okay, so uh, answer was D with Bictagravir. Interesting answer, I have to say. Uh, um, of course, it's an option. There are also other possibilities. Maybe Dr. Sachs, you want to uh, comment this? Sure. Well, there's um, we have resistance to non-nukes and then that 184V like we've already talked about. And so to me, um, uh, answers D and answer A uh, are probably the preferred answers here. Um, I would not use uh, Abakavir because we've talked about that already, but with a 184V, that does take a hit a little bit on Abakavir. So it's not a whole lot different, certainly better than 3TC Dalutegavir alone, but it's it's just not something we go to. Um, is Darunavir okay? Sure, uh, but but I'd like I think I tend to get away from a boosting agent uh, if I can as the guy's getting older. So those I'd say either A or D. I see what other people think. Clara, once again, it's helpful to have the case up just so you can go back and see all the characteristics and people can. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. good. You're right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Thank you. So. Um, you know, I think that the Nadia trial was really transformative in our understanding of uh, management of people with resistance in this pattern, because Nadia had people failing first-line regimens with non-nuke plus two nucleosides, and then randomizing them to either keep the tenofovir or switch it to AZT, or uh, and or to dolotegravir or go on uh, go on darunavir. And what the Nadia trial showed us was that, you know, basically all of the options were roughly the same, although the uh, ultimately at 96 weeks of follow-up, the tenofovir option, keeping the tenofovir, even though it hurts us ID doctors to do that, to keep a, reg a drug that's in a failing regimen, keeping the tenofovir was the better choice, most likely because of tolerability. And the dolotegravir strategy was non-inferior to darunavir, but but there was a nine out of 235 person risk of getting dolotegravir resistance. So, you know, I think that if the patient's very adherent to therapy, it's probably fine. But speaking with uh, Neil Patton about this, the patients who failed with the dolotegravir resistance typically were non-adherent. And so the safest thing is to use darunavir in this context, but mm -hmm. I don't have a, a right answer for everybody, everybody. Although Paul, maybe I'll jump in here and ask you this patient going back, just had M184V did not. Right. So in Nadia, just to stress the point that was being made, yeah. this was a study done, as was said in Sub-Saharan Africa, and people were very advanced. You see the characteristics there, yep. 50% had a CD4 count less than 200. A lot of K65R, which knocks out tenofovir, but also other nucleosides, and a lot of M184V. And so if you take us back for a minute, Clara, to the um, case, I think you said that this person has M184V alone. No, so, no, no, no. No? So no? No. Two, no, here, two, two, uh, also the K103N. Yes, yes. But the yeah. nucleoside resistance he has is one M184V. And so... Um, I think that, that this person is a little bit closer to that first case. Um, the NNRTI resistance is there. If you had a lot of worry that you don't have a full picture, but I think if you were 
just M184 via the nucleosides then that would you know, so, so, so I guess I am so. I'm just going to say there's a difference and we should really try to understand this there's a difference between a stable switch and a virologic failure case mm -hmm. and that's what what really not just telling us not just telling us that virologic failure cases includes people who may not always be so adherent to their regimen and as a result, they may be at increased risk of dolotegravir resistance. The stable switch patients, on the other hand, they can maintain viral suppression even with M184V plus K65R plus a whole host of thymine-associated mutations. It's a different situation. And maybe, you know, uh, if, if a virologist is still on the panel, if, if Davey's still on, you can say, you know, don't you think it's a harder ask of the drugs to achieve virologic suppression than to maintain it? Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a harder hill to climb, right? You have to suppress something versus from the beginning versus just keeping it suppressed. Right. Yeah. Well, so let me, I, I, I would just interpret Nadia a little differently and to say that those nine patients came out of that 10% that didn't have success, right? So it could be because, like you said, that they were an adherent. But in practice, we're going to sort of be following these patients pretty closely, right? Mm -hmm. And and he had some success for a while. But, um, you know, if we're following and then we see that the viral load is coming up, then we would confirm that and then check a, a genotype and then switch. So he may <laughs> may end up on darunavir boosted anyway. So, I, you know, I, it's hard to tell from a uh, randomized trial because it it isn't they are checking um and i just don't remember what the switch criteria were for failure but i suspect it was standard um it, it's just a to me looking at how easy or hard it is for people to take medicines I, i've definitely i i would totally agree with raj that i'd feel more comfortable in the failure setting with just a 184v than k65r you know with both but you know, in our in our reviews that we got about these guidelines, they wanted us to explicitly address this issue of K65R plus 184V. And in the context of virologic failure in with both of those mutations, from a resistance standpoint, I think we have to assume from Nadia that the Darunavir strategy is safer. For 184V alone, who knows? Uh, and uh, it, you know, but it, it is a harder ask than than just virologic suppression cases. Yeah, and that's very and I think the nuances of um, the reason that he had virologic failure are really important because it seemed that he was adherent to therapy. One might assume his viral load was suppressed, and then COVID happened. And you know, did he just lose access to drug entirely? And if he goes back on his drug, he's going to be adherent again. He's going to be able to take his medication. So, you know, if you're leaning toward the dolutegravir regimen, I think you would really want to have that discussion with him about how well he can take his drugs on a daily basis and otherwise default to darunavir. That's mm -hmm. a good point. Mm -hmm. So good okay. point. Yep. So we have just a few minutes uh, left here. We have a few questions um, a lot of them are around cabotegravir or alpivirine. Um, if, if, if someone's having low-level viremia, uh, I guess it's a question of how low-level we're really talking about here. So if it's, if it's over 100, I think we get nervous that it's really beginning a virologic failure. But if it's 
what if it's uh 55 um do you accelerate the you go from eight weeks back to four weeks to give a little more uh what do you guys think well, it depends on what kind of treatment he is, uh, because, for example, we observe it, um, we have observed several times uh, patients on treatment on darindavir, they have sometimes something between 50 and 100 That's copies, right. and we tested everything, resistance, and we didn't see anything. Right. And so... I um, honestly, I wouldn't really care if it's still between 50 and 100. It happens sometimes. And if everything else is fine, I wouldn't do anything. Uh, well, I, I don't know how, how the other would uh, decide, but this is my experience. Yeah, and the reason for that usually is in somebody who had a very high baseline viral load before treatment, uh, and they have a larger reservoir of uh, proviral DNA containing cells, and they're going to spit out virus and cause, and we see that all the time uh, with with oral regimens. Uh, and it would be true for cabotegravir as well. I think because you mentioned the pharmacokinetic tail, and it's been brought up a couple of times. Does that? Um, yeah, I think what it would say is that we should follow their viral load carefully and make sure it's not going screaming past a hundred into two hundred. I guess my, my view is that because unique among our recommended regimens right now, cabropivirine, even with perfect adherence, can rarely have virologic failure with the resistance. So as a result, in settings where you're kind of uncertain, it's like one of the questions about someone with a history of raltegravir failure, I, I would steer clear of it. Yeah. And that might also apply to people who have low-level viremia. So for example, as you said, Mike, if it's 28, that would be okay, because we know that the risk of resistance actually increases very quickly once that low-level firemia goes over 100 or 200. But if it's anything really higher than 50, I, I would probably yeah. not use it. What, one question that came in, I know we're just about over out of time, but I want to turn this question to Dr. Smith because of it's asking about the utility, if any, for the use of proviral genotypes in the setting of uh, virologic success, less than 20 copies, do you see a role for that? And in what setting, or is it just too confounding to be helpful? It, it's it's hard, but most, I really think that getting a history ahead of time is really good about art failure that's happened in the past on art use. Um, but proviral testing can be helpful, um, but just realize that it's hard to rule out a negative. You can, so that's, if you find a mutation, that's important. But if you don't find a mutation, really go to that history and figure that out. Sure. Okay. So it's thank you very much, uh, Dr. Lehman, and thanks to the panel. Wonderful discussion. We'll try to answer as many of the residual questions as we can uh, just by typing in the answers here from the panelists. But now we'll turn it over to Drs. Eaton and Springer, who will take us through substance use disorder.